0: you know, in sales, we always love to talk about what we're good at, but what about what we're not so good at? Should we be talking with our customers about things that we don't do well? Perhaps we might. Let's talk about it on today's episode of The Buyer's Mind. Welcome to The Buyer's Mind,
1: where we take a closer look
0: deep inside your customer's decision-making mechanism.
1: To reverse engineer
0: the perfect sales presentation. Now, please welcome your host, Jeff Shore. Well, greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Buyer's Mind. I am your host, Jeff Shore, and this is the podcast where we try and take a dive into the way that people make their purchase decisions. If we understand the way that they want to buy, then we can change our presentation to make it easy for them to do what they really want to do anyway. I'm joined, as always, by our show producer Paul Murphy. And uh, Murph, when I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, we do a lot of things well at Shore Consulting. I might sound arrogant, but I'm proud of the work that we do. But there are things that we don't do well, and therefore we simply don't do them. Like what what comes to mind? What what do what do you think we don't do well, and therefore we don't do it? We don't sell detailed product
1: ideas um, because our philosophy is understand your customer and when you understand your customer like we say you can reverse engineer your sales pitch to meet your customer's needs so it's not about your product and that's what we don't do
0: yeah and look it's not that we don't think that product training is important we we think it's vitally important we we take it from the idea of you need to know everything there is to know about your product and you need to know everything there is to know about your customer and when you marry those two things together that's where the magic happens But for us at Shore Consulting, we don't do product training. We don't get into that level of detail. There are people who can do that, maybe internally, maybe externally, but we don't get into the idea of product training. Our expertise is on the way that a customer makes their decision. That's where we want to take the conversation. And we don't do that product training because we just can't do it well. Uh, The amount of effort that it would take for us to Uh, to be able to put that program together would be so extensive that we could not do it well. And if we could not do it well, then we're simply not going to do it. But we get the request from time to time. Our clients will say, come in and talk about this, whatever this might be. it have to do with product training. It might have to do with financing. It could come up with any number of things that we simply don't do well. And we are very quick to tell our clients, rather than, oh, sure, hey, if you pay us enough, we'll do it. We are very quick to tell our clients, we don't do that well, and therefore, we don't do it. And that's the approach that we want to take. We always want to see ourselves as a transparent organization. We can tell you what we can do, and we can tell you, we will tell you what we can't do. And I'm wondering how much that applies to you and to your organization, to your company. We're very quick to want to talk about all the things that we do well. Sometimes we are a little short to talk about things that we don't do well. But a couple of thoughts on that. If we are willing to be honest and transparent, and you're going to hear this in the interview today, the level of trust that you establish with your customer will skyrocket. They will trust you on so many things. And that's why, as you're going to hear on in the interview, uh, if you uh, claim to do everything perfectly You're going to have a real problem. Your customer will not believe you. They will understand that there is no such thing as perfect. And now they're going to discount everything that it is that you have to say to them. So the question is, and the quest that we are on as sales professionals, is how do we structure our presentation in order to make it very clear that we are very talented at what we do and that we do it very well, but that we do not do things that we do not do well. What would complete transparency look like? Let's get into that in today's interview with Todd Capone. Well, here on The Buyer's Mind, we always love to talk to sales thinkers. And today we're going to talk to speaker, author, sales philosopher. No, I'm not sure what that means either, but we'll ask for you. Uh, (laughs) Todd Capone, he is the author of a very intriguing book called The Transparency Sale. It's going to challenge the way you think about sales. This conversation is going to be just a little bit different, and I love different. Joining us from the great state of Illinois, Todd Capone. Todd, how you doing? I am awesome. Thanks for having me, Jeff. You bet. Let's have some fun. All right. right, let's is sales philosopher. So, let's start there. Sales philosopher. That is what you have uh, glossed yourself as. Tell us more.
1: Well, I mean, I think before we jump in, um, one of the things that I'm so excited about being on here for is uh, one of my good friends is Jay Bear, who I know oh, yeah. has been on the show a number of times. Couple and he times, always gives yeah. the advice that before you go on a podcast, you should listen to two of the episodes. Well, as it turns out, I've been a subscriber of this one for a while. And part of it, when you ask about being a sales philosopher is you've got to do your research. Um, yeah, I yeah. suddenly, a couple of years ago, and I'll I'll tell you the story here in a minute, but mm-hmm. I got really sure. intrigued with this whole world of decision science and the fact that neuroscientists have basically pinpointed how we make decisions as human beings. And so I dug in and I found just a treasure trove of information, which if you're selling something, it's probably a good idea to know how decision-making happens. And Mm -hmm. so I've been trying to figure out what it is so that I can not only use it, but teach it for good and
0: not evil. Yeah. Uh, I love it. It's, so is that sort of, uh, you know, because I've always thought that I'd like to carry that banner to some extent that there is a, a dirtiness and ickiness that some people think about sales. And I'm almost feel like I'm on a charge to say, no, 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 no. If it's an us versus them and, and I'm only interested in my commission then I understand where that mindset would come from. Uh, but I'm of the mindset that says, no, we need to elevate this profession to what it really should be, and could be, I assume you are of like mind in that, uh, in that objective.
1: Yeah. You know, so Gallup every year, and you've probably seen this, but I think they came Mm -hmm. out with their last one, the end of December, where they rank all of the professions from most to least trusted and Mm -hmm. every year at the top is, you know, nurses and veterinarians. And at the bottom is, you know, two different flavors of sales, so car sales, and then telemarketing. And then your yeah. last place is members of Congress. So I think we've got right. that coming for us. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it basically, you know, this whole idea of the transparency sale is this realization that not only does it feel better to be authentic and honest and human in the way that you sell, which should eventually move salespeople up that ranking, but the data and the science that we've come across over the last few years tells us that it actually means faster sales cycles, increased win rates, better qualification. We make it really hard on our competitors when we lead with our flaws and we fully embrace the concept of transparency. And that's that data and the science that I came across really led to the book and what I've been spending so much time talking about. But yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's got to change. And now because of this evolution happening in the world of buying, it it not only should change, but it has to.
0: We'll we'll talk about the book and the concepts of the transparency sale because it is uh, feels, feels very counterintuitive at the first glance until you get to study a little bit more. What is your background, Todd? How did you how did you get to where you are now?
1: Well, I had always been in sales, and I always equate myself as kind of like a, um, you know, some of like I don't know if you're a big sports fan, but you look at some of the greatest coaches, and they weren't always the greatest players. Um, And that's kind of the way that I felt like I was always pretty good, but I knew that leadership and, you know, not only from leading and building teams, but thought leadership was where I wanted to go. So Mm -hmm. at one point I actually took everything I owned and I uh, bought a sales training company, which was nuts. Mm -hmm. But for Mm -hmm. me, it felt like uh, better than an MBA and it probably cost me as much, but, Mm -hmm. you know, just to get. (laughs) You know, to go out and you know, I built up a client list. I under, you know, I really learned what all of those companies did, how they structured their go-to-market. And then when I came out of that, I ended up you know quickly being elevated into uh, running sales for a startup out in the valley. Uh, I did three of those, um, and then I was at Exact Target for a few years too. And in those instances, um, Exact Target, who is in the you know the the B two B kind of one to one marketing space. Uh-huh. I was on their sales leadership team, taking them through their IPO and their eventual exit to Salesforce for a little under two point seven billion. Uh-huh. And then in my last role, I was the chief revenue officer of Chicago's Power Reviews, uh, who was uh, deemed by Deloitte to be the fastest growing tech company during my ten years, so two thousand fourteen to two thousand seventeen. But they're in the the space of helping retailers and brands collect and display ratings and reviews on their website.
0: Hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, so you've been sort of all over the place understanding the buying journey from a a number of different perspectives. At some point, you know, the sales thinkers get to the point where they look around and say, you know what, there's a better way. Can you trace your sort of epiphany moment?
1: I can. So when you think about uh, reviews on a website, uh, so let's think about Crocs or Vineyard Vines or Jet, you know, you're looking at a product. And then you go over and see the reviews. That was power reviews that was kind of feeding that and helping to facilitate that whole process. So we did a study with Northwestern University here in Chicago that kind of rocked my world. And it was, they looked at review scores as it correlates to product conversion on a website. So if I'm looking at a pair of Crocs. What they found was that an average review score between a 4.2 and a 4.5 sells better than a product that has an average review score of a perfect five. So yeah. this imperfection actually sells better than perfection. And so that was when I started to look at it and said, all right, that's that's B2C. So when a website is acting as the salesperson, imperfection sells better than perfection. What happens if we take that to the, the B2B world? And that's where I started to dig into all the decision science. And I, I found that really the kind of the undercurrent of this evolution that's happening due to the proliferation of reviews and feedback on everything we do and buy and experience is that transparency actually sells better than perfection. And, and so that was, that was what really kind of kicked off the process and got me down this book writing journey.
0: Hmm. Wow. So, uh, so you had to get to that epiphany moment and then you had to do a fairly deep dive because uh, my guess is that, you know, that the idea of of being completely transparent and leading with your flaws is uh, counterintuitive to most of us. I assume that it was to you at some point and you had to look at it and say, okay, I got some work to do, right? I've, I I got to connect all of these dots. Tell, tell us about that journey.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it started with the first call that I went on. So I was the chief revenue officer. I had about 60 people on my team, but one day uh, a rep called my VP of sales, And with an inbound lead, and it was from a big apparel um, manufacturer up in the Northeast, happened to be in New York. And I happened to be in New York that day. So my VP of sales calls me and says, hey, Todd, we got this great lead. And um, I said, hey, I think they're in New York. Can you call them back and just see if maybe they'd be available for coffee? Like, you know, there's no harm in in trying and just Mm -hmm. start the dialogue. So they did. And the guy happened to be available. I went to his office. Uh, they you know, met me at the elevators, brought me up to the office, and it was clear we weren't having coffee. He actually jammed the whole his whole office, and it was a Manhattan office, so it was tiny. Uh, there was eight of us in this little office, and he points to the monitor, and he says, you can plug in and give your presentation from here. And I'm like, um, what presentation? And uh, I ended up, I looked around this room, and I thought, hey, this might be as good of a time as any to try this. Because this guy was very New York in the best way possible. Like there was no small talk. It was just, let's get to it. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at your competitor. I'm looking at you. Why are you better than them? And I decided I'm going to try it. And so I, Mm -hmm. instead of going that path, I said, Hey, can I start with what they're better than us at? Uh, Because if that's going to be really important, you're going to find out anyway, like let's get it off the table now and save us all a lot of time. And so I did, you know, our competitor had an add on that was not even on our roadmap. And I wanted Mm -hmm. to be clear about that. I didn't want to get three months down a sales process and have them find it. And they not only completely disarmed in that they became much less New York, much more engaged. My transparency led to their transparency and 20 minutes in this guy kicked out all the other seven people. And literally pulled his uh, budget off of his credenza. So it was a file and he opened it, pointed his finger to it. And it literally said ratings and review software and had a dollar amount on that line. And Mm I've never had anybody do that in the history of me being in sales. Mm -hmm. And that was when it really kicked off that I was like, all right, there's something here. These guys ended up uh, um, deciding in our favor within two weeks took a couple of weeks to get contracts done, but a sales cycle like that would normally be close to six months. We closed it in four weeks. And so mm-hmm. that was when it really started. And I started to try it and other opportunities started doing the research, you know, listen to a couple of your podcasts, uh, with like Martin Lindstrom and Scott Hallford mm-hmm. and really started to put together that, Hey, there's something significant here. And, uh, you know, leading with your flaws and being transparent doesn't mean you walk in and say hey this is why we suck there Mm -hmm. there is an art to it Uh, we still have to hit that four two to four five but when we do it it is incredibly disarming and the results are magic
0: but why what's the science behind it why does it work again it sounds counterintuitive why should it work well when you think about the
1: idea that you've talked about is that as human beings, we make decisions with feeling and emotion and we back it up mm-hmm. with logic. And when we think about feelings, it's not love and hate. It's, uh, there's a guy, uh, Dr. David Rock that put together this model called the SCARF model uh, for the types of feelings that influence our decisions. Then the you know, SCARF, it stands for you know, the S is status, the C is certainty, the A is autonomy, the R is relatedness and the F is fairness. When those five things come together, that's when decisions are made. And when we think about that second one, which is certainty, as human beings, we've always been driven to try to forecast what our experience is going to be like when we make a purchase of substance and especially one where we haven't bought it before. And that's Mm why 95% of consumers today look at reviews before they make a purchase. And the amazing thing is 82% of us look and specifically seek out the negative be- before making a purchase and it's it's that feeling of, of certainty and trying to predict what our experience is going to be like and helping that to inform the other feelings around is this going to make me cool to my friends am i going to lose any autonomy by making this purchase Is there a higher order feeling in terms of relatedness and does the price match what the expected result is going to be in that fairness so when all of those things come together, it's amazing how reviews play such an important role in that. And again, as buyers, we're going to go find it. And the the magic is when we lead with those flaws, and then the the buyer goes goes and does their own homework and finds that it matches. That's when we see trust accelerate really quickly, which leads to those faster sales cycles.
0: So okay, so so here I am. You know, I'm I'm an author. I got a bunch of books on on Amazon, and when I think about one particular rating that sticks in my crowd to this day when somebody comes along and says, well, um, you know, I'm in a totally different industry. So the book doesn't apply to me. It was good, but it just didn't apply to me. And then gave me one star. And, uh, I, you know, of course that on my, just my ego alone, I'm going to feel pretty ticked off about that, but you're saying that that person might've done me a tremendous favor.
1: Yes. As a matter of fact, it validated all of the rest of the reviews. So Mm -hmm. imagine you go to a website and you're going to buy, like my refrigerator just went out. Uh, So this weekend I was online doing the research. And when I find a refrigerator that has all five-star reviews, I again, inherently, that does not help me predict what my experience is going to be like, because we know that everything is flawed. And Mm -hmm. so when every review is a five, it almost feels like an extension of marketing. The minute Mm -hmm. you start having negative um, reviews, it actually validates the whole list and makes the fives even more valuable. Again, if 82% of us are looking and seeking out the negative, I bet you the people that are coming and taking a look at your book are looking at that one first and they're saying, oh, one star. Wow, I wonder what this person's thinking. And then when they read the explanation and see Mm -hmm. that it doesn't apply to them, it's actually aiding in the conversion of the people that are not a match for this guy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's, let's put this into like real life application there. Uh, I'm a GM at a car dealership. I'm, I'm holding my weekly sales meeting with my team and I'm going to say, all right, people, here's your job. I want you to go out there and start the conversation by telling people how much we suck. I don't <laughs> think that's going to be your advice. So tell us how to make it practical.
1: Well, I think it's understanding who your product is right for and who it's not and making mm-hmm. sure that you're validating that from the beginning. I, I often talk about the experience of going to an Ikea where you go, you find the product that you look, you're looking for. There's no salespeople around to help you. You're going to load it onto a cart that doesn't have brakes yourself. And then you're mm-hmm. going to go out to the parking lot. You're going to jam it in your car, Tetris style. You're probably going to drive home with an injury or two then you're going to open the box and that's when the fun really begins where there's a thousand parts and not a single word on the instruction. And when you think about being in furniture retail, you would think, gosh, it would be so easy to beat them. Well, it Mm -hmm. turns out Ikea has been the number one furniture retailer for the last eight years in a row because they Mm -hmm. embrace that idea of, listen, this is what your experience is going to be like but that's in exchange for us being really good at giving you modern Scandinavian design furniture that you're not paying a lot for. And so when we take that to car sales or any other product sales, the first thing that I implore anybody to do is to work with their marketing organization and say, listen, as a buyer, that's going to go do their homework on their own before they walk in here, what are they gonna find? And let's make sure that we are well-messaged to embrace those things that are true and address those things that aren't. So mm-hmm. if I'm going into a car dealership, um, I, I drive an SUV, and an old Jeep, and I walked in and um, I was looking at a pickup truck just because I was curious. And if that person goes up to me and embraces this idea that, all right, I would be considering moving from an SUV to a pickup truck, what are the things I'm going to love and what are the things I'm not? Lead with mm-hmm. those things that I'm not going to love about it And then we can have a real conversation. It's incredibly disarming, but it makes the positives stick a lot more effectively, too.
0: Mm -hmm. Is is it difficult to for the companies who you work with to find those opportunities to craft that presentation? Uh, How hard is it to because you know, you're. I I know we're not trying to say, let me tell you all the reasons why we're bad. Obviously that's not the point of the transparency sale, but is it, is it difficult to find those things that are going to be constructive and, and informative to a customer?
1: Well, I think in today's world with this, again, this proliferation of reviews and feedback and everything we do and experience and buy, like my kids won't download an app without looking at the iTunes store and looking at a star rating. They won't watch Mm -hmm. a show on Netflix. And so in your organizations, for anybody who's listening, you know the, the first thing you do is just do a Google search and say, what is it like to use this product? Or what is it like to work in this organization? And you've got to start finding those things that people are saying, both positive and negative. There's companies like Glassdoor that they've got a billion dollar plus evaluation and it's employees, both uh, current and former, that are going and sharing their experiences about what it's like to work in your organization. Mm-hmm. buyers are now finding that and wanting to know what the culture is going to be like of the organizations that they're going to, you know, invest in. So that stuff is easy. I think it's easy to find, all right, what are these buyers going to find when they go do their own homework? I think it's the the second piece of that, which is, all right, which ones are we going to embrace and message around? Mm-hmm. And how are we going to hit that four, two to four, five, uh, the, the, uh, the funny thing about it is um, you, you probably know the supermodel Tyra Banks, but mm-hmm. she coined this term called, you know, flawsome, uh, which is embracing your flaws, but know that you're still awesome. And, mm-hmm. and that's really the goal of what these organizations are trying to do is to say, all right, we know we have flaws. Let's embrace those and let's make sure that we're messaging those in a way that's not only transparent, but still embracing this idea that we are flossom.
0: Yeah. So the the world is a transparent place anyway. Uh, how do you leverage that rather than holding onto it? I, I remember many many years ago I was uh, selling homes for a home builder in uh, in Northern California, and uh, the site that I was selling at had been a, a former Superfund site where they had uh, found a, a bunch of barrels of uh, solvent that had been buried, you know, way back when when no one had thought that everyone would want to build a home in that area. And so we had to go through and, and uh, do all kinds of remediation. And of course, the disclosure was, a, 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 a it was war and peace. I mean, it was the level God. of detail in this disclosure was crazy. And at first we were like, okay, well, after you buy a home, now we hand you all the disclosures and come back and say, hey, just so you know, we're at this big Superfund site, you should probably understand that. And it wasn't working because everyone was canceling. But when we changed strategy, it came back and said, listen, I, I, I want to make sure you're clear on this because some people are going to have a problem with it. Uh, some people are going to learn this is now the cleanest earth that you're going to find in the entire county and we can prove it. But let's just tell you what's going on. That it made all the difference in the world. I think it was because we let it off. And granted, there are people who looked at it and said, there's no way I'm going to buy here just based on the stigma alone. And I had to come to realize that I call that person not my buyer. And the person who was willing to buy was the one who was Uh, fully informed up front. And it was part of the decision rather than coming in after the fact. I I assume that that passes the test of the transparency. That is exactly
1: it. You're building a foundation of trust. So Mm -hmm. you won't even have the opportunity to give your spin around the fact that that dirt is now the cleanest dirt you're going to find in the whole county Um, Mm -hmm. when you've waited till the end to reveal such a a vital, important potential flaw. When Mm -hmm. you lead with it, then everything else is gravy. Right. And so that that's the the point. It's when you wait until the end, you've got trust built up. It's got a longer way to fall when you reveal something that you that's that important. So I, Mm -hmm. yes, you are right on with that one.
0: So transparency is, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I hear you saying is that transparency is oftentimes the missing link to trust and in the in lack of transparency, any trust that was already established is going to be shattered.
1: Yeah, exactly. The, the idea of transparency is the more that we embrace trust, the less homework the buyer is going to do on their own. And mm-hmm. the, the more that we, when we lead with authenticity and honesty, the less homework they're going to do. And when they go do that homework and it matches, that's when your sales cycle speed up. And I, I think even more importantly, Like your housing example, you know, in the the B2B sales world, we talk about qualifying opportunities and make sure that we're spending time on the ones that are most likely to buy. And if we're going to lose, lose fast. And so that embracing of transparency from the beginning, make sure that if we're going to lose, let's lose fast. Otherwise, we're going to spend weeks, you know, days, weeks, months with these people. They're going to find out something that I probably should have led with that they're going to find out anyway because of the proliferation mm-hmm. of all of this feedback everywhere. Let's get it out in the open so that we're spending more time with buyers that can actually buy from us.
0: And at the same time, I, I would think that at taking that approach that sales professionals are going to feel better about themselves. They're going to feel better about the messages they're sharing and the service they're providing and just have just, just sense that deeper connection that's, that's based on trust. So it's actually a win-win for everybody here.
1: Well yeah, I talked to people after this book came out that said, "Todd, wow, you've really captured this. I've always felt like I need to embrace authenticity and honesty. I mean, this is my profession." But when I dig in a little further, most of those people think that there's a trade-off, that the more honest and authentic and on- and transparent they are, that that somehow has a negative effect on the results and the data and science is now showing us that you know what, it not only feels better, but it maximizes your results too. And mm-hmm. again, that that's this evolution that's taking place that I believe is gonna move sales up
0: that list on Gallup uh, hopefully yeah. in the next few years. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, great stuff. Uh, that is really, really strong. And, and I would just want to encourage people. The book is called "The Transparency Sale." Uh, Todd Caponi. You can uh, follow uh, Todd Caponi on LinkedIn. Uh, C A P O N I. We'll put that in the show notes uh, as well. This is fantastic information. Before we let you go, Todd, we're going to put you on the hot seat. Some rapid fire questions. Rapid fire answers. You ready? I guess so. Okay. Here we go. Your very first job was what?
1: I drove the cart around a golf driving range to go pick up the balls and it, it had cages <laughs> on it, but I was uh, I was a target. I was a big fan of golf, but uh, it was not only my first job, but it, it may still be one of my favorites.
0: Yeah, and you you recognized early on that you were a target for guys like me on the tee box, right? Oh, yeah. You were okay I, with that. Yeah, We had a
1: horn and it, it, the headlights were pra- uh, protected with a little cage, so when somebody would hit... <laughs> We'd be hitting the horn and flashing the lights too. So we, there you go. we were I love inviting it. the target practice. <laughs>
0: uh, an album from your youth that you listen to over and over again.
1: Wow. That's a good one. Um, I I really started to embrace um, music in college more than anything else. And that was right at yeah. the, the heart of grunge. So mm-hmm. I am a uh, big Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam fan. And uh, Soundgarden, super unknown, continues to be a regular on my playlist. Love
0: it. Uh, The most beautiful place you've ever stood.
1: You know, I I was the head of sales for a company that was headquartered in Auckland, New Zealand, of all places. Mm. Um, And so I used to travel out there, coach basically uh, once a quarter, which is Mm -hmm. I don't recommend. But one time (laughs) we went out. In a, on a ferry out to, I think it was called uh, Wai, Waikiki Island. Mm-hmm. And there is a winery on the top of a hill that has 360 degree, 360 degree re, um, views of the ocean. And mm-hmm. like, I almost burst into tears. It is one of the most wow. beautiful things I've ever seen.
0: All right. It just got added to the life list. Uh, any book that made a profound impact on your life? Um.
1: You know, that's a tough one, you know, being a sales philosopher, I, I looked at what was happening with the challenger sale mm-hmm. and I fully embraced that. And it headed me down this path of sales philosophy and methodology. I know that's probably mm-hmm. a bad answer, but no, uh, the great. challenger sale helped me see that this evolution was real and mm-hmm. helped me to write my own.
0: Sure. Uh, any movie you've seen multiple times, but when it comes on, it doesn't matter. You have to watch it.
1: I, I'm a, a slapstick comedy fan, and so if yeah. Airplane is
0: on, it is on. Oh, yeah. that's solid choice. And finally, <laughs> uh, your first uh, celebrity crush.
1: Oh, gosh, I had the Fair Fawcett uh, poster up in my room when I was a kid. Well, who
0: didn't? Who didn't? Love it, (laughs) love it, love it. it. There you go. Off the hot seat. Todd Capone, thank you so much for being on The Buyer's Mind. Great interview. Great information. Really appreciate the work you're doing. I think it's important to our industry. Thank you for elevating and continuing to find ways to elevate what it is that we do. Appreciate your time.
1: Well, thanks for having such a great show, though. I I love being on it, but I love listening to it even more. So thanks for
0: having Uh, me. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. So there you go, Murph. Uh, Good guy, Todd Capone, right? It just seems like the type of guy you'd enjoy sitting down and having a cup of coffee with. Well, and the fact that uh, he has such good taste in podcasts uh, doesn't hurt at all. (laughs) Always appreciate that. uh, Absolutely. Uh, Was it awkward at all for you, Murph, to hear this whole concept of how do we lead with our flaws? You know, I'm wondering how that works, because when you
1: think about Apple or Ford or even Southwest uh, flaws are not the things I think mm-hmm. of them as leading with.
0: Right, right. And with a lot of those companies, they the, the very word flaw has to be defined to be able to look at it and say, here's what we can't do for you. Right. This is this is not what we are even trying do so if somebody looks at it and says that southwest airlines as you mentioned here uh well i want a first class section well you, you may consider that to be a flaw it's not to us it's not what we do or i want you to serve meals that's nice but that's not what we do and so if we look at it to make sure that we're very very clear this is what we do this is what we don't do it's not necessarily a flaw it's just who we are and it's better that you know that right now And I think that that's a safe way to be able to put that and maybe give some clarity to our audience to be able to look at it and say, what do you not do? Uh, At times, it might be appropriate to say, well, we don't do this, and you know why? Because we don't do it well. (laughs) So we don't want to do something that we can't do well, and we just don't do that well, and so that we don't do it at all because we're not going to do anything that we don't do well. Uh, Look, I want to just suggest to you, the sales professional out there, that as we're thinking this through, as we're asking ourselves the question, the the key here is, and I I think that this is what Todd Capone said that was so critical, the world is transparent anyway. So what are they going to learn about you that you can help them to understand? And if we lead with that, then that transparency is that key link into trust, and any tr- if we don't lead with that, then any trust that you've already established is going to get lost anyway. But there is this opportunity to disarm, to let people know that you are real, that there is uh, a something here that you're not afraid of. And we try and say, well, this is a flaw in my company, in my presentation, in my value offering, and so I'm going to hide it. Uh, listen, if they're going to find out anyway, and they are, then what's the benefit of hiding? it? There is no benefit. There's only harm. But I want to make a suggestion here to you. As you're thinking these things uh, through, I, I want you to consider doing two things. One, have this conversation with other people in your organization. Right. Don't try and do this alone. Ask other people. How do we uh, look for the opportunity to um, share Fairly early on in the process. He these are the things that we don't do. Our competitors might do them, but we don't. How do you start there? What are those things that you would want to talk that would talk about that would allow you to be transparent? And then the second thing I want you to do is practice it. You need to get this down. You need to have this down as a part of your presentation so that you're not on the fly. Uh, sort of making up what you're going to say. That's not the way this is going to work. You want to make sure that you are the professional, that you've thought this through, and that you've got a really good, really good, strong, uh, firm, and confident grasp on what you want to communicate. Because if we are doing this right, what we will share is that we are confident in what we offer, even with these perceived flaws or these things that we don't do. And that confidence is so important. It'll get adopted by your customer if you are feeling that sense of confidence. So buy the book, The Transparency Sale. It'll change the way that you look at your own sales presentation. It's a very cool way of looking at the evolution that is sales and how we take good care of our customers. When you know your customer well, when you take care of them well, that's when you have the opportunity to change their world.